Amen. Welcome, everybody. I don't know if I should say good morning or good afternoon. It's because it's 12 o'clock. <laughs> um, but it's, it's wonderful to see you all. My name's Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're doing a, a series currently on prayer. So we took a bit of a break last week. Um, but we're back in our series on prayer. And <clears throat> this week, Peace for Prayer, and it's followed the, over the, the past four, this is the bit of fifth week, um, every topic that we've looked at has begun with P. I suspect there will be a few more, but they won't always begin with P. Um, that is the topic, but peace, peace stands, prayer starts with P, so that's always going to be consistent. Um, and as we're thinking today about prayer, um, <clears throat> the topic is perspective. Perspective. And I have three questions um, that I'd like to ask you at the outset. First of all, how do you view prayer? How do you view prayer? Second question is, how do you view the one to whom you pray? How do you view the one to whom you pray? And then the third question is, how do you view the one for whom you pray? How do you view the one for whom you pray? How do you view prayer? How do you view the one to whom you pray? And how do you view the one for whom you pray? <clears throat> Our text is going to be taken from Mark chapter 11, if you'd like to turn there. And <clears throat> what I'm going to do is it's on the screen, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. And this week I'm going to try and help you, as long as my computer stays alive, because it died a minute ago. Um, I'm going to try and put the verses up for you, but... If you can turn, then that'll be a blessing. <clears throat> I'm going to read it and then we'll pray together. Amen. So Mark 11, starting at, verse tw starting at verse 20 through to 25. As they passed by <clears throat> in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that these six verses would cause a cosmic shift in our thinking, leading to a seismic change in our relationship with you, but then also with others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11. It opens up with Jesus coming into the capital city of Israel, um, which is Jerusalem. And verse 1 of this chapter says that they were on, they were just on the outskirts of the city, staying in a place called um, Bethany, um, which is near Bethpage. And where they're, where they're staying is very close to the Mount of Olives. Would you, would you remember that for me? Say Mount of Olives. All right, thank you. We're going to come back to that. And <clears throat> Jesus sends out two of his disciples to go and get him a donkey, um, which he would then proceed to ride on into Jerusalem. And how many of you, how many of you know every previous king of Israel um, followed the same ritual you know what I'm saying, in celebration of their coronation. Every time a king was enthroned, strange, but they'd sit on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So in one sense, it was unusual, unusual for us, but not unusual for them, culturally speaking. And this was signifying Jesus' position, his royal position as king. It's funny because virtually up until that time, Jesus is always like, he'd heal someone and he'd say, don't tell anybody. You know what I'm saying? Um, cast out demons and he'd be like, 
someone to get healed, they say, go to the priest, show yourself to the priest and give glory to God and give the offering that's necessary, but don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that that is me. You know what I mean? And then on this occasion now, Jesus publicly now is proclaimed in private sometimes now and again. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus revealed himself to her in wonderful ways. Um, Nicodemus, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's little incidents, but generally speaking, but here we see something really quite unusual. Jesus revealing himself now, you know what I'm saying, as the king of Israel. And he's received wonderfully with joy and adulation by many. If we read verse 8 at the beginning part of the chapter, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Verse 8 said, and look, notice, many spread their cloaks on the road, you know. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the, the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. So you've got a procession in front of him, procession behind him, and everyone's making up noise. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means, God, save us. God, save us. How? Through the king. Because historically, that's what would normally happen. You think about the great kings of Israel, someone like David, you know what I'm saying? Well, this is David's greater son. I mean, David was great. Great David um, had a greater son. And here he is. And could it be now he's the one that's going to bring back the kingdom of Israel as we, as we, not even as we know it, you know, because it was how they heard it previously, historically speaking. Come and, and, and they're looking at the king, but they're looking at God through the king. God, save us through the king. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Can you hear it? Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are the God who is the highest of the highest. Would you save us on that basis? That's what they're saying. It's funny, isn't it, when you, when you look at what these words really mean? Because we hear them kind of, not all the time, but you're familiar with Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna. We sing it. Hosanna in the high. Lord, we lift up your Right? But what, did him, what did, does it really mean? You know what I'm saying? God, save us. And I'm saying, you, the one in the highest, save us to the highest degree, if you like. Now, these people are singing his praise. These people are rejoicing and exulting. But not everyone in Jerusalem would receive Jesus with such open arms. Then in verse 11, Jesus, huh, in verse 11, Jesus goes into the temple. Now, you'd think this is a wonderful occasion. But like I said, he's going to buck up on a group now that don't receive him like the crowd outside. Jesus, verse 11, goes into the temple. He has a good look around. And he has like a Matt Damon moment. Like he has a born night. You know, you ever see when, when my man goes in and he scopes out the place and he's looking at the, he's looking at the exits, he's, he's clocking the, the security cameras, he's clocking the security guards, how many guns they got. You, you know what I'm saying? This is Jesus. When he, when he looks into the temple, verse 11, he's scoping out the place. Because, <laughs> see, what's going to happen is he's coming back the next day. He's coming back the next day, and it's on. There's going to there's gonna be drama. So, scopes out the place. Then Jesus and his disciples, they go back to where they're staying for the night. We pick it up in, in verse 12. It says, on the following day, <clears throat> this, is not, this is the day after. Robert, it's the following day, right? On the following day, when they came from Bethany, which is where they were staying, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, that means it was a very leafy fig tree, right? <clears throat> he went to see if he could find anything on it. Now, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, that can sound like a contradiction. Why would he look for figs when it's not fig season? Um, there's an argument that says... Um, at that particular time of the year, there were these buds that would come upon fig trees that were actually edible. Although the fruit might not be present, the, the, the buds were, and you could actually eat the buds. It was just like a little snack, you know what I mean? A little, like a little munch, like, like you got from Sainsbury's like 10 minutes ago, you know what I'm saying? And um, 
But he, he arrives there and there's, there's nothing on there. And, and the Lord turns and, 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 and he says to this fig tree, may no one ever eat from you again. That must have been a bit strange seeing Jesus speaking to this fig tree, right? The disciples. At this point, nobody says anything, but they heard him, right? Now, this is a strange occurrence. But then verse 15 to 19 will help us to see that it's a picture of unfaithful Israel. That is this fig tree. It's a picture of unfaithful Israel. You see that um, a few of the, the prophets previously make reference to Israel as a fig tree. God's unfaithful people. And look at how they're described in verse 15 to 19. Now, I'm just trying to give you the context for our verses. So verse 15 to 19, it says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he, Jesus, entered the temple. Oh, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them while he's doing this, turning over tables. Jesus is like, this is, this is a proper object lesson. Taking back to Jesus, taking them back to children's church differently. You know what I'm saying? And it says, and, and, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of what? A house of prayer. For who? For all nations. But Jesus says, but you have made it a den of robbers. What a contrast. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it. <laughs> and, and was, notice, and was seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was, was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Can you see that this group of people are not appreciating Jesus the way the previous group of people were appreciating Jesus. So we've looked at a little bit of the detail of this chapter. Now, if you take a step back, right? Take a step back from the trees that we've been looking at the detail. Take a step back and let's look at like the forest, if you like. You know what I'm saying? And we'll see two things. Jesus, on one hand, who is the rightful king, versus the religious leaders who currently got the city on lock. Can you see that contrast? Jesus, you know what I'm saying, the rightful king on one hand, and then you got these religious leaders who are currently running the city. It's like, we run, we, we run the capital. This is our town. And we got a good thing going on here, they say. And neither you, Jesus, or anyone else is going to come into our town and mash up our thing. You get me? And we will go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that that doesn't happen. They're quicker to find your bullet-ridden body in the river before you shut this down. Can you see this contrast between Jesus, the real king, and these first century Jewish gangsters? And notice Jesus goes right into the hornet's nest. You know them films here? Where the hero goes into the gang's stronghold. <laughs> and you're like, fam, you ain't never going to make it out alive. You know, they go, they go up to the gate and there's some big old burly, like, you know what I'm saying, like bouncers. And, and how they get in, other, they get, but they get in and they get in. And it's always a party, always a club scene, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? It's always a club. And they got to make their way to the back of the club. And they get to the back of the club and there's a next set of henchmen, you know what I mean? And they get through them henchmen and, you know what I'm saying? And they get into the back, the back room, you know. And they went in the back room and then boom. See him there? Don Corleone. You know what I'm saying? The big man, right? And you think... Fam, it, I mean, it was hard enough to get, it, get in. You ain't never making it out alive, right? Jesus goes right into the hornet's nest. But I told you, Jesus is Matt Damon out here. And it's mad. Watch this. <clears throat> in the short term, 
Jesus is going to lose. But in the long term, Jesus is going to win. In the short term, these religious leaders are going to win. But you see, in the long term, these religious leaders, they're going to lose. Generally speaking, how do you live your life? Do you live it in the short term? They say of our culture, we don't think past lunch. Do you live your life like that? Or are you thinking a little, with a little bit more longevity? You're thinking a little bit more with regards to the future. Like, I'm getting older, innit? Someone had a chat with me the other day and, and, uh, and was just saying, like, how do you view life? And I'm like, boy, Psalm 90. Where Moses said, Lord, teach me to number my days in order that I might, I might gain a heart of wisdom. Because my days are running out. And that's if I'm lucky. And I'm saying, I mean, this could be the last time you see me. Do we live our lives in the short term or do we think a little bit more long term? I think it's, a, it's, it's an important question to ask, particularly, you know, I'm saying our young, the younger generation. See, have you got long term game? Now, getting back to our story, I then said, getting back to our film. Getting back to our story, it's like a film. Jesus goes into the dragon's lair, doesn't he? And he says, you know what? Jerusalem ain't your town. Jerusalem ain't your city. And furthermore, this ain't your house. Speaking of the temple. This is supposed to be a place where people can come and meet with God. And not just Jews, all kinds of people. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is, not you, this is God's house. You see, you see Jesus throwing down the gauntlet. And I told you how they see it. It's peak for Jesus. But it's peak. <laughs> I got the mic peaking. <laughs> Remember that lyric, peaking? I can't even remember. It's my own lyric and I can't even remember it. Something about peaking. VU meet is peaking. But it's peak for Jesus. But, it's, but I'm saying short term. But it's peak for them. Isn't it? Long term. And it's funny because Jesus, if you like, makes this very, very evident public statement to them. It wasn't even, I mean, I, mean, I talked about being in the back room. Jesus done it in a temple in front of everybody. You know what I'm saying? Now, you know how they already feel about him before he did this. And Jesus does it and he's like, what? And what? And he bops out the same way that he bopped in. And they head back to their B&B in Bethany. I say B&B. It was, it was probably staying with, with um, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Because Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived in, in Bethany. <laughs> man's laughing. I don't know man's laughing. Can you see... Can you, see that in, can you see that in no uncertainty, Jesus walks out and he makes it out alive, right? But they're there. How are they feeling? You know, like to say they're seething, <laughs> but they probably smiled it off. You know, like, like real bad man, they don't chat about, you know what, hold me back. You know what, if you don't, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Real bad man don't do that. When you hear man saying, hold me back. <laughs> Real bad, man don't, real bad man don't say nothing. They're just cool. It's all right, cool. And this is, this is what these guys, they're like, safe. <laughs> they probably just laughed it off. You know, they're like, like, like the Joker. I ain't seen the film yet, but apparently it's, it's quite harrowing. I must say he's one of my favorite actors um, because he's in, one of, he's in my favorite film. I'm just going off on a tangent. Help me, Lord, help me to get back. I don't want to go so far out to sea, but I've got to say this. Um, um, yeah, Gladiator is my favorite film, and um, Russell Crowe smashes it. But what really makes the film special is Joaquin Phoenix, who plays... So, so it's obviously my man's the, the protagonist. That's Russell Crowe, but, but Joaquin Phoenix is the antagonist, and he makes that film what it is. So he's in the Joker, in it, And these guys, they're smiling like the Joker. But there is nothing funny 
about what has just happened and what is about to happen. Can you see that in no uncertain terms, it's on. And by the end of the week, how many of you know, Jesus will be dead for three days. And these religious, these religious charlatans who are only concerned about their own personal gain, they would have won short term. But look what's going to happen long term, depicted in the illustration of the fig tree, verse, verse 20. It says, as they pass by in the morning, that is, they've gone home, but they're coming back, you know what I'm saying? And as they're coming back to the temple, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> as they pass by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Like, it's only been 24 hours. And Peter remembered, like, Jesus standing up and chatting to the tree, right? And said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. See, these religious leaders, <clears throat> who in one sense represented the whole nation, um, these religious leaders were like trees with bare leaves, but no fruit. And when I say bare, I mean bare as in the colloquialism that were bare, there's bare of them. Like there was lots of leaves on the tree, but there was no fruit, right? To the untrained eyes, like, these men, they looked legit, but they were frauds. They were using and abusing people. They were only out for their own interests. That was their perspective. That was their perspective. P for perspective. Do you think, do you think Jesus is about to bless that behavior? Now, there's a curse on these guys, and it's self-inflicted. I mean, they have the option to repent, right? They have the option to draw near to God. The irony is, the house of God is for everyone. Even for them, as wicked and bad men as they are. How I many of you know the temple was an invitation for sinners to come and meet with God? You know, previous to the temple being the te becoming the temple, it was what? In the wilderness, the tabernacle. Another name, another synonym for the tabernacle was what? Remember, it was a tent. The te Thank you, Mr. Carnegie and others. The tent, just in case, I didn't want you to feel like I never heard you. Yeah, I, feel, I'm here, I, I see you, bro. I see you. you know what I'm saying? It was also called, the tabernacle was also called the tent of meeting. Why? Because it's the place, it's, it's the place of meeting or the place where you meet with God. And how many of you know, all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. So who's, who's righteous enough to meet with God? Well, nobody's. Not on their own merit. But if you come through the sacrificial system that God had set up, where an innocent victim would die, would be slaughtered, would shed its blood, would lose its life, on that basis you could be forgiven and then you could have opportunity to have entrance and audience with God. It's the tent or the place of meeting. So even these brothers had opportunity to engage with God. I mean, it's like where you're sitting right now. And it's not because of the building. The building is not spiritual or holy. Well, I suppose it is in one sense, but you know what I'm saying? Not because, not because of where it is and what it is. The reason why you, like, Anyone who visited the temple have opportunity to meet with God is because of the provision that he's provided. And as you sit here, you know what I'm saying, you actually sit not in the temple, but you sit in the midst of the temple because the temple now is God's people. So you just like them, you know what I'm saying, have the opportunity to also meet with God. That is if you have never considered that or done that previously. The temple is for everyone, for all nations. 
Now, not only is the temple the place where you meet with God, Jesus said that the temple is to be a house of what? Prayer. So it's where you meet with God, wonderful, but then you have the opportunity to engage with God, to have conversation with God if you like. <clears throat> and it's here that is in the temple that we come, that they came with their mountain-sized problems. Anybody got any mountain-sized problems in here today? I've I got both hands up. If you've got mountain-sized problems, you'd be like, Pastor Rob, I've got like, I'm dealing with Everest out here, like in terms of the problems that I'm facing. And how many of you know the biggest of, of all of our problems fundamentally is sin, which often, not always, but often is the very thing that caused our mountain range of problems in the first place, if we're honest. I know, that, I know that's true of me. You know what I'm saying? Well, if that's you, you know what I'm saying? You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Because, because Jesus is the mountain mover. And the first mountain that he addresses in our lives is our sin and our need for forgiveness. We'll come back to that. Now, in a few days' time, Jesus will go to the cross, as I said. The king, you know, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die in the place of, of sinners. He's going to die in the place of those that hate him. Jesus is going to die. And <clears throat> but the question is, Will people avail themselves of this merciful gift? You know what I'm saying? We often, weekly, would like to think we reflect on the suffering of Christ and the, and the price that he paid in order that we might be forgiven of our Mount Everest of, of, of issues, which is our sin. And, um, and I suppose I just want to ask you, knowing that Jesus has, has offered you that gift, that like if you're if if you were if if you were wise to who he was, you'd be like the crowd saying, "Save us! You're the king. We want to be a part of your kingdom. Rescue us. Take us out of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of of light." Will we will we avail ourselves of this merciful gift? Well, it depends upon your perspective. These religious leaders would. They'd rather have short-term gratification, you know. They'd rather have short-term gratification rather than eternal salvation. They'd rather have short-term gratification than long-term satisfaction. In them, we see an example of an unhealthy perspective, Right? Now, the Lord Jesus is going to focus the minds of the apostles by framing a godly perspective. You know, a bad, a, a, an ungodly perspective. Look at them guys. You know what I'm saying? That's an ungodly perspective. Jesus is, 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 is now going to focus the minds of the apostles by framing this godly perspective, especially as it relates to prayer. Verse 22. It's up there on the screen. And Jesus answered them. What did he say? He said, have faith in God. Talk about mountain management. Have faith in God. <clears throat> now we know, you know what I'm saying, probably most of you do, that there's a, a movement of quote-unquote churches that take these words to an extreme. A tragic, unfaithful extreme. That puts the person who's praying in the driver's seat and then puts God in the passenger seat. Right, but that's back to front. How many of you know God is driving? And I'm saying, don't get it twisted. And although many take 
these verses and they twist them unrighteously, we should be careful not to completely and utterly disregard the truth that's contained here. That's the temptation, see? See, the truth of the matter is, God is a God of absolute power and might. And I'm saying, now, we know that, you know I'm saying, there are individuals that take these verses, like I said, and put you in the driver's seat, put God in the passenger seat. You're great. What, what is it you want? Well, name it and claim it. And I'm saying, why not? Oh, like, what's the, what's the rationale? I, I might be like, but how can I do that? What do you mean, how can you do that? You're a king's kid. And I'm saying, you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed coming in and blessed going out. What part of that don't you get? You know what I'm saying? But what we, what, I know what I've, what I've done in the past, I've taken that because I know it's an extreme. This, you know what I'm saying? And I've kind of, I just try to distance myself from that. And in one sense... Part of that is actually true. I mean, God is, I mean, God is a God of absolute power and might. He, he spun the, the solar system, the galaxies into existence. I mean, he's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the ending. Is he not? There's, there's, there's no one like him. There's no one beside him. He's a sovereign. I'm going to have to read this. He's a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally, he's immortally graceful. He's, he, he's, he's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? You ever heard this on YouTube? You ever seen the thing? Do you know him? The, he's the king. Oh my gosh. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son, speaking of Jesus. He's the sinner's savior. Hosanna. He's a, he's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Do you know him? I'm about to get my handkerchief out in a minute. My, my kerchief out in a minute. With that in mind, let's read verse 23. Truly, I say to you, says Jesus, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him or her. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask, where? In prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, if, you, if, you've, if you've read the Bible for more than five minutes, you know that this ain't just saying you can say what you want and ask God for it and you'll get it. That's a madness. But how many of you know, if you've got needs and you're, and you're crying out to God, he promises to meet our needs. He doesn't necessarily promise to meet our wants, but our needs. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and all things will be added to you. And in the context, it's talking about house. You know what I'm saying? Or some, <laughs> rephrase that. Somewhere to live. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's talking about clothing. You know what I'm saying? It's talking about food in the context. So how are we not going to cry out to God for these things that we need? Jesus says, ask for these things. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, <clears throat> but something really interesting to me is we're talking about the mountains of issues that you and I may potentially have. And Jesus is saying, you know what, I can move mountains, you know. When Jesus made that statement in Bethany, he was on the mount of where? Oh, you remembered. Praise the Lord. He was on the Mount of Olives. And you see where Bethany is, overlooking the sea. So it was a literal word picture. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, a literal metaphorical word picture. 
You know what I'm saying? And you know, I was at prayer meeting last Tuesday. People bear me witness, probably, hopefully, unless it was just in my mind, you know what I mean? <laughs> just between me and the Lord, you know. And um, I experienced this jolt of joy and faith-filled expectation as we were, like, we were praying, and, you know, we're praying, and there was just this moment. I was like, Whoa. I was like, wow, we are actually, you know what I'm saying, in communion with the God of the universe who's, who's, I was like, God is listening and he's also, notice, he's listening, he's also willing and he's able to respond to our prayers. You know what I'm saying? As long as they're in the context of, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. But Lord, here, here is, and our prayers being in line with his. I was like, what? And P, do you remember, uh, bruv, I don't know if you remember, the, you remember the moment, bruv? Man said 100%. And, you know, verse 22, we have to have faith in God. What, what like, what the heck? We've we, we got to have faith. We've got to have faith in, in God. Even as I'm saying it, it's, it, it, it. We know that these verses have been abused by the power hungry, the money grabbing. The modern day Pharisees. But the answer to misuse isn't no use, it's right use. Especially when you, when you start to see some of them repenting, like Benny Hinn. You know what I'm saying? I mean, is that late news? Is, are you guys aware of that? What? For real? A man said, no. <laughs> no, a man said, I believe that when I, you know, not even. And, 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 and my response genuinely to that is, time will tell in it. I said, but man's come out blatantly and said, what I've been teaching is heresy. You know what I'm saying? Now, he's taken his, he has. Uh, okay, that's a good question, isn't it? That's a good follow-up question. If he said he, he, he don't believe that no more, Mr. Carnegie said, well, take all them books off the shelves. You know what I'm saying? And how about, he, he is. Oh, there's the answer, bro. Someone said he is. D. What you saying? It's, it's not that you heard it and you don't believe it. This man's like, "Raw, I never heard that." Yeah, I, I mean, I heard it about. Was it a week or two ago? At school, we was at school, Nate. Remember? And we was talking about. Yeah, yeah, we was talking about in it. And I'm saying, and I'm like, you know, there's been people that have spoken to him, and a multitude of others about this faith prosperity extreme. You know what I mean? And um, apart from those that have spoken to him, and I've always felt quite convicted about this. It's quite easy to point the finger and you know, make up a whole heap of noise and this, that, and the other. But often, I felt like the Lord challenged me silently in my heart and say, Robert, pray for him. It's, it's, it's always, I would, I, would, I would speak a million words to you, you know what I'm saying, um, under my breath, it's like, but, but, but even if you see, if you've got the guts enough to see the person and, and lay on them, but how often do we pray that God will bring about a change? You know what I'm saying? And I suspect that if, that if it is true that that has happened, it's because someone's been praying. Let's not be guilty, you know what I'm saying? Even though that, that, that teaching is erroneous, you know what I'm saying? Let's not be guilty of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You know what I mean? It's like, I've got mountains out here that need moving. And I need this power in my life. We need this power in our life. We need this power in our church. Right, I'm, I'm not even talking generally. I'm talking specifically. We need that power in Ecclesia. You know what I'm saying? We need, we need how many of you need that power in your family? Like, like I babies crying. I see Charles and Claire over there. Like, babies all over the place. Young families. If you didn't already know, you're going to need God's power. And, that's, and I don't mean that. That's an understatement. Uh, and it's, and it's and it'll be like, oh, Rob, Pastor Rob, you're just such a down. You put me on such a downer. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's too late now. You've got them. You've got the kids. It's too late. You know what I'm saying? But better you just know what's going on in it. 
Better to be forewarned. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm forearmed. You know, I'm, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? We need God's power in our schools. How many of you know we need God's power in our communities? How do you view, I asked you at the beginning, how do you view prayer? Well, how do you view the one to whom you're praying? If you think that you're praying to someone that's insipid and not even on your side or ain't got no love for you and don't care about you, well, who's going to want to pray to that person? What's, see, what's your perspective? Like, what's your view on the individuals that you're praying for? I mean, I put it cuter the first time. And I'm saying, what's your view on the ones for whom you're praying? What's your view? What's your perspective? Now, getting back to the text. <clears throat> Let's learn a lesson from those who didn't have the correct perspective. Their guilt was threefold. And it's not just the religious leaders. Number one, their issues were located in greed and profiteering from religion. Verse 15, that was their sin. And I'm saying, Jesus said, you criminals... You've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. You are criminals. Verse 17. That's the first thing. Number two, those who were trying to haggle a cut price bargain sacrifice. This ain't, this ain't, the, this ain't the religious leaders. They set up the system, innit? And the reason, and they set up the system knowing that the system's gonna be blessed for them financially because people, people, people are just. We ain't got time. A part of the reason the whole faith prosperity thing is gone. Like you're talking about like man with Cessna jets and three of them and own personal like Rolls Royce. And the reason all of that is um, it goes that way is because the people look at that and they want it. So they're happy to give all of their money because when they give it, they're going to get back a hundredfold. So I'm saying, you've got individuals in the temple. They never bothered bringing their sacrifice like they should have. They just said, don't worry, we have to bring no sacrifice. When you get to the temple, it's Passover. There's going to be bare sacrifices. I'll probably get a bargain anyway. Because if we go to my man here and he's chatting about 10 dinar, you know what I'm saying? We just go over here. Uh, dinar is what they use in Tunisia. If I go, I go over here, my man's, I can get it over here for eight shekels. You know what I mean? That's how people were thinking about their sacrifices. And there were, there were money changers there who, you know what? There was three sets of currency. There was Roman currency, there was Jewish currency, there was Greek currency. And if I come with the wrong currency, I come to my man, innit? I come to my girl, innit? And you can sort your thing and, and you change up the money for me, you get, you get your little bit on the side. So everyone's, everyone's eating off of this thing. So, I mean, we can blame the religious leaders, but everybody else has got their blame. Can you see that? And then number three, someone wanted to kill Jesus because they despised his popularity. Like he's come on the scene and not only are you messing up the money thing, you're also messing up, like people are gravitating to you when they used to gravitate to me. I don't like that. See now, cool. That's their sin, isn't it? How about our sin? What's your sin? What's my sin? <laughs> because none of us ain't guiltless. Thank God that we're in the temple, isn't it? Because this is the place where we can get that mountain of sin dealt with. See, what did the Lord Jesus call the temple? <clears throat> or what ought it to be called? House of prayer for sinners, because there isn't anyone that hasn't sinned. You're in the right place at the right time. We're in the right place at the right time. Now, <clears throat> what have I been? 45 minutes. I've got a few more thoughts, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up. <clears throat> we need, I'm arguing, to have faith in God, right? And I would suggest, like someone like Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor was a British Protestant missionary who served in China for 51 years 
and founded the China Inland Mission. As a result of his efforts, over 800 missionaries came to China, which probably have been the, the, as, as undergirded what is now popularly known as the, as the popularly known, what's it called? The church in China. It's not the hidden church. The underground church. Thank you, Mr. Carnegie. Thank you, Lord, he's sitting on the front row. I needed you today. Hallelujah. As a result, as a result 800 missionaries. That was then. Who knows what it is now? 125 schools were established. 18,000 individuals became Christians. 300 mission stations employing 500 local workers in addition to missionaries from other countries were established in all of the 18 provinces of China. And this is before cars and this is before, this is, this is before internet. This is before, you know what I'm saying, like, this is before mobile phones. I feel ashamed of myself as I look at statistics like that. You know what I'm saying? And I think a part of it is because of my perspective. I don't, I, don't, I don't really trust God. I don't really look to God. I don't really cry out to God. Like, and Hudson Taylor was inspired. Have you ever, ever heard of a man called George Mueller? Listen. George Mueller. He's, this is a quote that was that characterized his whole life and mission. He says, when we pray, we ought to be able to make a case before God why he should answer our prayers. We should be able to argue and reason with God as men in the Bible did. Does that remind you of anybody that we talked about? Thank you. Amen. Abraham, a couple weeks ago, Genesis 18, right? We should be able to argue, and this is humbly, and reason with God as men in the Bible did. When you pray to God, can you make a case for why he should answer you? And if you can't answer that, don't bother praying, innit? What would be the point? Because you're not convinced about your petition. 2,000 orphanages. Because he was convinced, you know, that God is the father of the father. 2,000 orphanages. And, oh, my sister. No financial support. You know the brother made a commitment and he said, I'm not asking nobody for nothing apart from God. Like I said, I ain't got time. But thank you, my sister. And, you know, this issue, God the father of the fatherless. You know, I just want to give a, a quick shout out to, to my boy, to Dean McNeish. Um, because, <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's him and Selena's last day today with us. And, yeah, I want to shout him out because in terms of the God of the, f God is the father of the fatherless. Um, I remember when Dean first came to, to, to Calvary Chapel, South London, back in the day, you know what I'm saying? And I've got pictures, you know, bro. I've got pictures of Dean when he was like 18, you know, man's got, you know, you know them, um, you know them teenage bumps you get? What the, the acne? Like, bruv. <laughs> Just after a man had an accident on his scooter. Like, was you getting up to mischief them times there? Or not? You, you, you stopped getting up to mischief them then. You know what I'm saying? That was bro. <laughs> and, and just that transition. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just want to shout him out. Because in, in, a, in a beautiful way, I've seen this young man who could have got, his life could have gone one way. And it was going in that direction. But because God became his father, it completely, totally, you know what I'm saying, transitioned his life so that he, wasn't going, he ended up going in another direction. And the, he's, 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 he's not 18 anymore. He's not a teenager anymore. He's a big man. He's a big married man with three kids. You know what I'm saying? And I just want to say, bro, you know, I thank God for his work in your life. You know what I mean? To the point where man can... Man can leave home now, in a sense. We've done it already, and he came back. You know the them, you know the them teenagers that leave and, and they're on their own and they're gone, and they're gonna, but they end up coming back. It wasn't like that, but that's <laughs> just metaphorically. Sorry, bro. You know I'm only joking, in it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But um, but you know what I'm saying. But him and Selena now have, have, have made a decision that they're going to be moving on. You know what I mean? And I look at it, and I t it, honestly, I can't like it. Just it fills me with pride because he's a big man now. And he's a, he's, a, he's a big man making big man decisions. You know what I mean? And, and I think about George Mueller and his heart for those who were fatherless. You know what I'm saying? Like so many of us 
are. You know what I mean? Some, some, so many of us were. So many of us may even still be. You know what I'm saying? But God can become your father. You know what I'm saying? And change the whole trajectory of your life. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? And the lives of your children. And your, and your children's children. Mueller was inspiring. Arguing his case before God, you know. Wow. Perspective. How do you... See... How else are you going to tackle your mountains? Car, you can't deal with them. I can't deal with them. They're too much for me. You know what I'm saying? And it starts with your perspective. And Dean's heard me say this before, but maybe some of you haven't. When you look at a mountain, you often look at it in one of two ways. You either look at that mountain and you say, boy... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Look at the steepness of that mountain, man. You know what I mean? It's like, boy, I'll be dead before I get to the top of that mountain. That's one perspective. But then you've got another perspective that looks at that same mountain, you know, and says, when I get to the top of that mountain, yeah, I cannot, can you imagine what the view must be like? When I get to the top, can you see two different perspectives? Same mountain, you know. But I would like to think that it's the view beyond the mountain. Which psalm is it that says, um, somebody help me. Looking unto the hills. I lift up mine eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Is it anything for him to move a little mountain? Are you... What's your perspective in it? Are you an, in, an envisioned, long-term optimist? Or are you a skeptical, short-term pessimist? Well, I'm both in a sense. You know why? <laughs> I'm complicated. That's what my wife often tells me. I'll tell you why. Because with man, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a pessimist out here. Like with man, it's impossible. F like forget it. But with God, how many of you know? All things are possible. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.